Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 2, Deep State. The Deep State is real. And it's just that, a 51st state, hidden from the American people, and unacknowledged by the federal government, even as it pulls the government's most important levers. How do you hide an entire state? You bury it. Deep. In Civics 101, we're taught the particulars of the visible constitutional state, the one you can visit in Washington, the one you vote for. Deep state is just a new term for a phenomenon that's influenced American democracy for 150 years. To many, it describes another more shadowy, more indefinable government. That description is accurate, but it's not the whole story. In July 1861, weeks after the first major fight of the Civil War, the first battle of Bull Run, members of President Lincoln's inner circle, nervous about his chances at reuniting the nation, decided the country needed a backup plan in case the capital fell. They sent a small group of civil engineers called the Shovelmen to scout locations in the West. Today, some say the hole dug by the Shovelmen, believed to be underneath the Colorado-Wyoming border, houses a powerful bureaucracy rumored to be 600,000 strong. So why is a shadow government, designed to silently run the real version of American democracy, suddenly a regular topic of conversation within the constitutional state? Is there dissent in today's deep state? What's the ultimate goal of deep state leadership? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. I'm your host, Salvatore Petrillo. Something every organized society has to grapple with is how each generation succeeds the last. How do we replace ourselves with something greater? How do we ensure that our legacy lasts? The deep state is likely no different. A society the size the deep state is rumored to be, 600,000 strong, has clearly succeeded in the area of growth. Well, today's guest knows something about birth rates in the deep state, and I'm really anxious to talk about this idea with him. But before we get to that discussion, I just want to follow up with an update about the intriguing email we discussed last week from Todd Snosh. Quick refresher, Todd was researching a famous 19th century dinosaur find in Medicine Bow, Wyoming, when he came across what he thinks might be the Shovelman's original marching orders from the White House to head west and look for an appropriate place to dig a bunker that would house Lincoln's government in exile should the South win the war. Todd sent along another fragment this week. The memo seems to have been written by Bishop Matthew Simpson, who was Lincoln's spiritual advisor, also known as the high priest of the radical Republicans. The memo is written to the entire group 
but Simpson addresses a Habakkuk who may have been the shovelman's leader. The section that Todd sent reads, Travel far enough so that you're far from Richmond and within striking distance of a Confederacy border, preferably North Texas. So I've asked Todd to just send me the screenshot of the whole note, but he seems to prefer giving us little windows into what he's found, which is sort of irritating, but what can we do? So hopefully more from Todd next week. First, I'm here with my regular co-host. He's a donkey in the streets and an elephant in the sheets. <clears throat> yes, that's correct. Yep. Cliffhanger. Call me Ford. My friends call me Ford. Ford, how's it going? Salvatore, you're my friend. Call me Ford. I'm all right. I'm a little bit embarrassed. I'm, uh, what happened? I don't do the dating apps that often, but uh, I tried this dating app online. It's called uh, Koi Fish. K-O-Y? Yeah, K-O-Y. And you meet people, you know, and you talk to them. Things are going good with this girl named Veronica. We had the same sense of humor. Like, we shared the same love for things outside of, like, you know, our day-to-day, like, existence. She knows about the deep state. I told her. Really? Yeah, I told her I was originally born in the deep state, but shipped out because they, I believe they got to keep that 600,000 very sharp. Then I set up like a meet and greet. And uh, let's just say Veronica is not what I thought she was going to look like. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's okay. And koi fish, do you have to put your picture? No. On it? Oh. No. I guess that's a red flag I should have picked up on, but I didn't. Well, it's not like people have to be accurate about the pictures that they exactly. put up on other yeah, ones. So it exactly. Matter. So it shouldn't matter. How did she not meet your uh, standards in terms of looks? I showed up. She had a goatee. She was wearing overalls. I got to stop saying she. It was a guy. It was a guy named Matt Petard. And the thing he kept saying to me is like, you just got catfish. And I said, you're on the wrong dating app. We met on koi fish. And so I think there was a bit of a confusion between he's on a different dating app than me. I think I thought I think he thinks he's on. He was one on, of you is on the wrong. No, he's on the wrong. Yeah, one. I think he's on the wrong one because I was on koi fish and that's how we met. So is it possible that there is catfishing going on on koi fish? I don't know that term. What do you mean catfishing? Like people are using two different apps on the same app? Well, cat, catfishing is a concept. When Matt said to you, you've been catfished, he used that as a verb. Yeah. And then I said, you've been koi ponded. And how, how did he react to that? He, he said that was stupid. So how did how did this meeting end? I feel so dumb because I brought over like a six pack of Lagunitas, and then I also brought over some like candies and stuff. Where were you at Matt's house? Yeah, I walked in expecting to meet Veronica, um, and it was actually Matt, and he was just like, uh, "Have a seat." And did you sit down? Yeah, I had a seat. It was just him there. I felt foolish because I came in being like, hey, Veronica, I got the beer. <laughs> I would imagine that that could be a situation where you both realize, you know, this is not what you had thought it was, but maybe yeah. he's a cool guy and there's maybe a football game on and you yeah. bought beer so you could just hang out. That's what I thought because it was a Sunday, which I was like shocked that originally Veronica said yes to a date on Sunday because I'm like, usually people are like, you know, date nights, Friday night, Saturday night. She wanted to do Sunday. And uh, so I was like a little bit skeptical of that, but I was like, well, she said yes. And so I'm going to do the prep work and do, you know, show up. And then like to see Matt Petrunas there. <sighs> he, he he just kept being like, he had a phone out and he was recording me. I, I'm sure this has been put online somewhere. And he kept just saying, you've been catfished. Ha ha, you've been catfished. And then I tried to, at the top of my brain, just fire back. I was like, you've been quite ponded. 
that didn't land. I felt like that was worse. He eventually put the phone away, and then we did sit down and watch Road Rules, Real World. Oh, cool. So that was pretty cool. So it sort of made a friend out of it? Um, I don't know if I'll see him again. So does, do you blame this on the app? I blame this on my upbringing. Because if I knew more about who I really was, maybe I wouldn't be on dating apps to begin with. You know? Like, maybe I would be out there meeting people in the real world that I belong to. Not upstate New York. I'm talking the deep state. Because maybe I'd still be there with my parents, my real parents. That might be interesting to, to look at a some sort of dating app for deep state uh, people who've left the deep state. Deep date. Oh, whoa. See, th- this is, always happens. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I come up with a good line after the fact. What do you mean it's after the fact? You could still do that. I know, but this is what I said to him. I said this so to he him. Not, yeah, Matt he was like, it. you're from the deep state? Yeah, right. You should make a dating app for it. And then that's when I yelled back, you've been koi ponded. And that, then I was in the car driving home after watching Real World Rules, and I said, deep date. You didn't give that away on YouTube. No, I didn't. I gave it away on the show, though. Right. So people, it's probably public domain now. If you'd like more background on our season exploring the deep state, you can listen to our first episode or go to our website, optophobia.org, for more context. Unfortunately, our guest for this week, Nightmute Alaska veterinarian Raphael Bonescratch, was unable to make it to the studio today. Raphael is a leading expert in the field of deep state avian worship, so it was going to be really exciting to talk to him Sadly, though, Raphael's own pet, Grebe, named Grub, died last week. So he's grieving his Grebe Grub. Hmm. So we will try to book Raphael again for an upcoming show. Thoughts and prayers. But we were extremely fortunate because at the very last minute, we were able to secure today's guest, Dr. Bert Flapp. Dr. Flapp, welcome to Optophobia. Thanks for coming on. My name is Dr. Bert Flapp. Last year, I delivered 25 babies a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. That's over 9,100 babies. This year, I'm on pace to deliver 10,000. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So 52 weeks, you don't take any vacations, huh? I don't. I love babies. I love delivering babies. And, you know, listening to your story, Cliff, can I call you Cliff? Can I call you Ford? My friends call me Ford. We just met. You should call me Clifford. Okay, Clifford. I heard your story about the koi pond and myself being an asexual. Okay. That actually sounds exciting to me to show up and not know what's going to be there. I don't look for sexuality in a partner. I just look for someone to have an intense relationship with, Uh to be able to share things with, and doesn't have to ever get sexual. So that actually would have been a nice fit for me. Okay, I don't want to be rude. Are you asexual by choice? If you put a picture of a naked woman up in front of me and a naked man in front of me, mm-hmm. neither of them moves the dial. Just not interested. Oh, okay. Not thinking about things having to do with traditional sexuality. Sexuality. So, yeah. Okay, that's probably why it makes it easier to deliver that many babies. Exactly. Yeah, you're staring down the barrel that many times. Yeah. It sounds like, Dr. Flapp, you're very motivated. The first thing you said was how many babies you deliver each year and that you're on pace for more next year. It sounds like this is something that's very important to you. Yeah, well, I'm actually one of the black sheep family members of the the famous New York Vanderflaps. So the Vanderflaps go back 12 generations all the way back to Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. If you go back to Ancestry.com, you'll see Vanderflaps in high positions all over the world. Wow. I'm essentially talking about we're the 1%. 
when you hear the story of the Indians trading beads for the island of Manhattan, those were my relatives' beads. Yeah, so are we a little bit competitive? Yeah, but we essentially created New York City. I, I was supposed to be a, a Wall Street stockbroker. That's what my family wanted me to be. And instead, I said, hey, I love babies. I want to be there at that moment uh-huh. where something is not there and then it is there. That's why I dropped the name Vanderflap and just went with Flap. And what what was it that created a rift between you and the rest of your family? I think when you're born, you know that you're just different. And a lot of, a lot of people in my family just said, hey, uh, you know, you're going to be this. You're going to be that. You're going to get married. And I said, I'm not going to get married. I don't. What do I want from a woman? What do I want from a man? I'm just as happy looking at a flower. That's what gives me an erection. What's your favorite flower? It's going to be a rose. That might be cliche, but... If I look at any rose, I can get an erection, snap a finger. It's there. Okay. So you just said something that's very, like, it hit me. Like, I know I'm not like any of these people because I was born in the deep state and then mm-hmm. shipped out. Yep. And they shipped me the farthest way away they could think, upstate New York. Yep. And I'm not like anyone in upstate New York. I mean, I know fashion. I know mm-hmm. how to put an outfit together. My shoes and my shirt always match. So I know what it's like to live in a place where – Everyone's different than me. Like all these people, they love the horse races. And being a liberal outside of my house up there, I got to go to a horse race and I'm a liberal at the track. I'm surrounded by it, which I assume is more than one percenters. Like you'd, you'd fit in there. Well, you know, and the other time that I really knew that I was different uh, was I was at, they actually had brought me to the hospital. And um, one of my, my great grandfather, he was having a um, torso replacement. They were replacing his torso with someone else's torso. And so, wait, a torso replacement? Yeah, that's something that the, you know, you know, when you, your entire middle section, all the organs and everything. I mean, that particular day, I don't know if all the organs were replaced, but I know at that point there was a lot of abdominal muscles that had been failing him that were replaced by other people's abdominal muscles. And so uh, they took me there and I was supposed to just sit and wait. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm going to go down to the cafeteria and get something to to eat, get in the elevator, uh, take me to the wrong floor. I end up stuck on the maternity ward Uh and so i'm like what am i supposed to do now just start walking around i'm just opening doors looking in seeing how things are going and i started seeing babies being born and i said oh my god this is the exact opposite of the one percent this is the most beautiful there's nothing here except pure joy and life no need no want just unconditional love and at that moment the doctor passed out. Okay. He's, he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? He slipped, hit his head. He's passed out. Now it's just me and that woman in the, in the suite. I walked over and I delivered that baby. And I'll tell you what, at that age, you deliver a baby and you get hooked. So you have this passion for delivering babies. Yes. But it's true that you run a pro-choice clinic. Uh, well, I mean, people need to have choice. That's, that's true. And your choice might be to not have a choice. Do we have free will or do we have destiny? I think that's the the biggest question that we have. Was I meant to get to the studio today or could I have decided not to go? Do I have choice? I don't know. You're known as the philosopher obstetrician, right? What I'm actually known as, as the stork of Wall Street. I have delivered every important person in the financial industry's babies, in the tech industry's babies, politicians, government leaders, world leaders. I've delivered every single baby for the last essentially 20 years. So Bloomberg's son. Yes. Jamie Dimon. Yes. We're getting toward one of the reasons we wanted to have you on. So let's let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Bert Flapp. 
Hey, Optophobes, remember that time when you were 16 and there was that girl from Algebra 2 who you thought you sort of had a connection with because you made her laugh a bunch? And then one day you asked if she wanted to do something on Friday night. She sort of crinkled her eyes up and smiled in a way that made you think she was looking at a tiny kitten who was struggling to go up the stairs. That feeling is called rejection, a close cousin of humiliation and something you've felt so many times since you were 16. Rejection is one of the most powerful rulers of our fear kingdoms and a very difficult enemy to defeat. But at Blend Venom Solutions, we think we've taken some revolutionary steps towards conquering the fear of rejection. For only $999 per two-ounce tube, you can face any test or trial, take any risk, try any new venture without worrying about the psychological after-effects of your almost assured failure. Our new product is called F7 Zambezi Jimson, a tincture made from the venom of the black mamba, combined with the juice of the jimson weed. Slather F7 Zambezi Jimson on your chest, and the nucleosides, alpha neurotoxins, cardiotoxins, and fasciculins from the black mamba venom create a mild, tingling sensation, quickly followed by a metallic taste in your mouth, drooping eyelids, abdominal pain, diarrhea, and gradual symptoms of bulbar palsy, all of which means you're dying. But in combination with the atropine, hyoscyamine, and scopolamine from boiled jimson weed that produces mild hallucinogenic reactions, the result is an immediate sense of euphoria followed by a confidence you've never had before. Try a little F7 Zambezi Jimson on your chest, and while you'll certainly face rejection again, you'll never feel rejected, because you'll be too certain of your own death to care. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your fears using snakes. We are back with Dr. Bert Flapp. Dr. Flapp, you were telling us about delivering all these important 1% babies. Yes. You have this desire and motivation to be there for the birth of as many babies as you can possibly be there for. But there's also a part of you that is connected to the deep state. So tell us a little bit about sure. how. Sure. Well, you know, it goes back to my becoming a doctor. And so, you know, normally you think, oh, to go be a doctor, you have to go to college, you have to go to medical school, you have to do a residency. Um, if you're in the 1%, you don't have to do all that stuff. You just get to be one if you want to be yeah. one. So uh, when I started uh, at 11, I went to a medical school. By the time I was 16, I, I was already had my medical license. And then, you know, from there on out, I've just been delivering babies. And I said, hey, I'm not feeling this. I'm actually going to go do Doctors Without Borders for, for some time. I'm going to go around the world. I'm going to go deliver babies. I'm going to get a feel for, you know, what it's like to be out with the people and you're not stuck here in this, you know, Manhattan hospital. And um, well, what happened was uh, I had signed paperwork to do that. And instead of shipping me to a foreign country, I was actually shipped to the deep state. Whoa. Oh. This was the year uh, 1999 going into the year 2000. I was... Uh, uh, 18 years old. I ask you how old are you are right now? I'm 38. 18. 38. That's 20. How old are you? I'm 20. What are the odds? What are the odds? Yeah, so I, I was there probably like from 99 through, I don't know, like 2005, something like that, 2004. 
And um, I mean, we all remember what Y2K was like. We did 2005. I showed up in Saratoga. We didn't really know what technology work. Would the computers fail? Would planes be flying out of the sky? And the deep state, when I got there, was very concerned about my birth certificate says 2000. Ford, we can hear you. You think that that's just happening in your head, but we can. You're saying it. Oh, I'm sorry. You're doing math. Yeah, I did the math. It's just strange, them. Because I'm 20, and um, you're 20. Yeah. Did I lie about my age before? I don't. I don't know that we talked about it. I just. Yeah, I'm 20. That's why it's just kind of startling me that to find out. But I don't want to stop you. I'll figure this out in my own head. Uh, so I was in uh, in this underground city. I didn't know where it was because you know they did the whole black bag over the head and just put me on a plane. I'm assuming maybe there's a boat involved. I don't know. Was there an elevator? Oh yeah, there was for sure an elevator. You know when you sometimes you're driving a car and it drives up and it kind of goes down on something and you feel butterflies in your stomach. I definitely had that, and I'm assuming that was an elevator going very fast. So this is really interesting yeah. because our our guest last week, Vicky Ganders, also was somehow brought down into the deep state, and all that she really remembers clearly is this elevator ride. So it's interesting that that yeah. now confirmed that there is an elevator. Yeah, well, and I, re- I mean, I remember a lot more than the elevator. And so, you know, imagine me being 18, you know, kind of in the, the thrill of life, you know, getting to do what you love, the passion that you have, then showing up into this, you know, foreign underground world. And I remember they, as soon as I got there, they partnered me with uh, another, she, I think she was maybe 21, 22-year-old nurse. Wow. And she was, uh, you know, traditionally beautiful, um, traditionally, you know, very uh, hot body. Traditionally knew more about medicine than the doctor she was working with. Uh, maybe the other doctors. I mean, I, Sounds I like you as well. Well, you have to imagine I've been practicing since I was 11 years old. Not actually practicing though, right? Well, no, I, I mean, by that time I had already delivered, geez, how many years does that would have been like? Hundreds. Eight years? Hundreds of babies. Thousands, yeah. Thousands. So, I mean, I actually this year I had the pleasure of delivering my 200,000th baby. So... That's a, you know pretty exciting to have that many people in the world that wouldn't be they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for me essentially, but anyway they you know so you get there you're 18 you're still questioning maybe your feelings your sexuality all that kind of stuff and I looked at her and I said hey this could be the beginning of a beautiful love story maybe I'll stay here and then I looked at her body and it was just like I don't know mm. and then I looked at a rose and I thought hey maybe this isn't the the way for me so oh they have roses. They have flowers in the deep state. Yeah, there's, it's definitely not the nicest hotel I've ever been to because I've been in places where you wouldn't think a hotel was a hotel, but it was. Name one. The uh, Niagara Falls. So under the falls, there's a hotel. Oh, I would put a hotel there. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. People would love to see the falls. Exactly. But my, my point is that you couldn't, only you couldn't rent that. Only 1%. Oh, yeah. I, it's, I would never secret. be able to afford to stay yeah. there. Yeah. Like, you, you, you know... um. Yosemite National Forest. Yeah, I've heard of it. That's a hotel. You know the uh, the geyser that they have there? The that's geyser. a shower. Under, yeah, underneath is a, is a hotel. Oh, uh, yeah, yep. So, I've never been there. That's why I'm saying that this wasn't as nice as that. But like you think about the nicest hotel you've ever been to, like a Holiday Inn or... I wish I yeah. could afford a Holiday Inn. Right. I've been to like a um, Clarion. Okay. Have you ever been to like a really nice apartment store, like a like a Nordstrom's or Target? Yes, not a Target, not nicer than a Target. Nicer than a Target, yeah. a Home Goods. Okay, I don't I don't know. You've been to a place that I'm explaining right now. Okay, so flowers everywhere, a lot of really nice scents, scented candles. There's a lot of light by flame, and then there's also a lot of uh, Edison light bulbs. There's a lot of those for really nice ambiance. And a lot of the... Uh, I'm sorry for interrupting. I'm just wanting to know the Edison light bulbs. Are we talking originals or the remade ones that just came out? I've got to imagine there's a mix of both because there were some very old 
parts of, of the town. I would imagine the only people who could really afford Edison's original light bulbs would be the 1%. Don't get me wrong. There's certainly a lot of one percenters down there. Wall Street has their idea of how they want things to be run. So they have to have people on the ground floor down there. That was actually part of my family. Once they said, hey, he's going to be delivering babies. He's not going to ever give us a baby because he's asexual. Let's ship him out. Let's get him embedded. And I think that's why they tried to give me a honeypot down there. I didn't mention it either, but there was also a very attractive male nurse, uh, traditionally attractive, traditionally banging body. Traditionally, what's that mean? That, that means African-American? That I think he was maybe of Spanish origin. I don't know if I can call that Hispanic or not. Or I'm wondering if when you were making your rounds uh, while you were down there, if you found anything that would speak to Ford's experience where he was a baby born in the deep state, immediately shipped out of the deep state, that approximated that as a as a systematic policy in the deep state, that, babies, that some babies, obviously not all babies, but some babies were shipped to the traditional 50 and, and made yeah, alive. Yeah, there, well, there was a very specific policy about it. Now, I'll be honest with you. After the baby is born, I lose interest. I want to be there for that moment. I want to see the joy. I want to see the, that level of unconditional love. That's like most fathers. Yeah. Then what happens next is it's not, it's not my problem. There was a whole division of people that would take care of uh, these situations I never got involved with until I was ready to leave. So finally, I negotiated a way to leave. I again signed a, an NDA saying, hey, you can't talk about this. I'm willing to break that NDA today because I think that this is important to get this word out. Uh, and essentially, they said, okay, well, you're leaving and we'll let you go, but you have to do one more thing for us. I said, what is that? And they said, we need you to take this baby to upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, actually, I was planning on, I've got a hotel booked in Niagara Falls right now, which is in upstate New York. My instruction was to put the baby in a barrel and push it over the falls. And that's what I did. And then- um, I wonder if that's the traditional route, you know, that, that babies from the deep state who are kicked out are- smuggled out or shipped out, somehow taken across the country, floated off the falls, and then somehow end up in other traditional 50s households. You did that, but maybe you just happened to stay in upstate New York. Well, I, actually, I remember that there was, you know how there's that boat at the bottom of the Niagara Falls where you can watch the, the yeah. falls? So th what actually happens is that that boat is actually there to collect the barrels of the babies. So it's almost like a floating Holy orphanage. Holy crap. So I think once you get to that boat... That's when they place you with a family. And then so a lot of people, they just get married. They, they go into Niagara Falls. They're like, I wish I had a baby. Hey, we can't conceive. This is sad. So there's no, this a high orphanage percentage where – because the deep state wants these babies to get out there and just forget their past. So being part of a loving family, there's, that's one place they know they can go. My parents have a photo of me. So there's like a wine barrel around me. And then and they're kneeling down. My mom is in her wedding dress. My father's in his tuxedo. And they said that's the first family photo we've ever taken. Was it? Was there water around? There was a mist of water behind them. Yeah. And you could see a rainbow. And it looked like a huge waterfall behind them. Well, what's awesome is that rainbow is actually part of the hotel. So you always wonder where does the rainbow end? It ends in the lobby of the Niagara Falls Hotel for the 1%. Yeah. Where there's also a pot of gold, which is... A trope, but it's true. Leprechaun? There's no leprechauns, no. The 1% probably wouldn't allow Irish people. Did they describe, Dr. Flapp, what the barrel over Niagara Falls part of the orphan process as our purpose for that? Maybe I was kidnapped by this doctor. Yeah, I think a lot of the... Uh, Maybe this doctor smuggled me. Ford, you're not thinking that. You're talking again. There's a psychological 
means where when someone goes through trauma, whatever the new trauma is, tears away what happened beforehand. So I think this idea of falling so fast, so quickly, that sensation in the barrel, kind of that becomes the new almost birthing point. So that's something that I think the deep state systematically did to people to make them have a new beginning once they were out of the deep state. As a doctor, you've taken an oath to do Mm -hmm. no harm. At the same time, you were able to put a baby in a barrel, throw it over Niagara Falls because of that, I guess, focus that you have on just the miracle of birth. One of the things I want to be clear about is so when they said, hey, go throw this baby off the barrel when I was leaving the deep state, I thought, hey, this isn't going to be a problem. It's just a baby. it's, It's born, whatever. But... On that trip with that baby across the country, we got into so much adventure. Oh, you bonded. What's one thing you guys did? One thing that we did is we, uh, as we were going through northern Pennsylvania, we went to Hershey Park. I love Hershey Park. We uh, went to go see how the chocolate was made. and uh, I love chocolate. We're going to have to wrap it up, unfortunately. This is fascinating. I wanted to ask one more question, Dr. Flapp. Very few people that we know went and came back from the deep state. So it's rare to be able to talk to somebody who's had that experience. I'm wondering what that experience did for you as a philosopher, OBGYN. When you're born into the 1%, you realize that everything is just made up. All the social constructs, all the elections, all the legislation, you know, traffic laws. As a philosopher, now I look at the world a little bit differently because before you knew there were strings, but now I know who the hands are that are pulling the strings. I've met them. I've delivered their children. And I remember that baby that I, that I took away. It was actually uh, by far the smartest baby I'd ever met. I assumed that after the, the fall in the Niagara Falls, it probably reverted to being a normal baby. I remember one day that the baby was uh, picking out its own outfit. And I was like, how are you so good at picking out your own outfit already? How- I pick out my own outfit. I think we, we learned something really interesting. It might be... Babies born in the deep state, i.e. Ford, thank you, might have a level of intelligence that is way beyond babies born in the traditional 50. And possibly that traumatic rebirth that you described is meant to readjust My brain. that baby into somebody with less intelligence like Ford. Huh. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. So that they can fit in a little bit better. And I think that the caliber of person that's involved in the deep state are genius level people. I want to thank our guest this week, Dr. Bert Flapp. That was completely fascinating. I'm like, I learned a ton of things about the deep state that I had not known anything about. I think I've learned my origin story. You know, one day I would love to, to meet that child and maybe rehash those steps and go back on that adventure and you know, see how things changed. But I guess you know, you, you'll never know because things are lost to, to time and then Niagara Falls. Well, I'm, pretty, no, I'm pretty sure it's me. I'm pretty sure you're talking about me the whole time. Mm, you think? Yeah. My thanks also to my co-host, Ford Hanger. Thank you, Salvatore. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Everybody watch Ford's unboxing videos on his YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm, I'm unboxing the new Xbox Series 1X 12 months early. So Wait, that baby loved the first generation of the Xbox. Hey, Dr. Flap, we can hear you. We can hear you thinking. Sorry, I'm just wheels are turning over here now. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk to Karen Chatsworthington a public sector economist who's going to walk through how she believes the deep state funds itself. So, hint, it is not taxes. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Salvatore Petrillo, and I will leave you with this. Believe in the power of things unseen. 
and things seen once. If you've got theories about what the deep state really wants, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website at optophobia.org or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to Greg Tyndale, who played Dr. Bert Flapp. Greg has performed at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theaters in New York and Los Angeles, the Second City in Chicago, the Sydney Comedy Fest in Australia, and the Benson Ball Comedy Fest. His improv duo, White Privilege Black Power, was a finalist in the Comedy Central Yes and Laughter Lab competition. Greg's comedic memoir, I Guarantee You Love, Fame, and Legacy, is available for purchase on Amazon. Follow him on Twitter at, at Greg Tyndale and Instagram at, at Greg Tyndale Comedy or visit his website, gregtyndale.com. Jamal Newman played Clifford Hanger. Jamal performs with Lena Dunham and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at, at Hello Newman and find him at jamalnewman.com. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open.